Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with Matt, who's also a doctor of physical therapy. And to get us started, Matt, why don't you give us a little history of your PT journey? One correction there, I am not a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, I am one of the rare ones that um, I only have a master's. And I get my master's in 2010 from Cal State Northridge. And uh, interesting thing, it was one at the time of only nine programs still left in the country that was a master's. So that was an interesting thing. And there was a whole battle through school on trying to get the doctorate in the California state system. It was a huge fight, actually. And the schools almost lost their PT programs because of it, because mm. no, there were no even PhDs there. So I graduated there in 2010. I worked outpatient orthopedics. Most of my career, I did short periods of time in a nursing home as PRN, but I really don't count that time. During that time, I became certified in MDT, or mechanical diagnosis therapy, or the McKinsey approach, as people know it. In 2013, I became a certified manual trigger point therapist through Biopain Seminars in 2015. Then I completed the Diploma in Mechanical Diagnosis and Therapy in 2018, and then the Fellowship of the AAOMPT in 2020. So that's what I've done there. I've been a clinic director for several different companies in several different states. So I've run clinics, and so I understand the business side of it. Also been working with the local levels of the APTA, both Mississippi and Tennessee. I'm the treasurer now. I was just elected that for the North Texas district and a delegate. I think I'm an alternate this year for the state of Texas. So I've been doing a lot. A little bit of everything. Yeah. So you've been a PT for 10 years, 10 years at this point. How has your, now you have a bunch of certifications as well, how has your practice changed from, let's say, the first five years to the second five years, and then going forward to the next five years? Uh, it, it changed quite a bit. So I would say my first job was in a clinic that did see a lot of workers' compensation patients. And so one thing I really learned there was really how to talk to people and how to motivate people. And just dealing with people that are angry at the system or they're angry at their you know, case manager or you know just somebody. I was actually doing a lot of manual therapy. I would do mobilizations on almost everybody that would come in the door. And as I went along in my training, really started to realize I don't do as much manual therapy now. I actually barely touch anybody. I'm crazy having a fellowship in manual therapy and really not using it that much. So I don't do nearly as much manual therapy now as, as I used to. Now it's really going through, especially the diploma, really learning how to interview somebody and to assess somebody. And we're listening to what this person is saying and trusting a process and, and following that and empowering the patient. And I actually, I don't do a ton of exercises with people anymore. Again, not a lot of manual therapy. And then transitioning those things from very, very early on in my career with people that were with the work comp, you know, sometimes, you know, you hear those horror stories of the work comp people trying to milk the system. That was such a small population, but that really carried over to later by being able to motivate people to get them going, to understand, to say, hey, no, 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 
we're working for, you know, we're working with you. We want to get you better. So that's kind of where I am now. Next five years, plan on just trying to make that even better. Just really expanding what I do and getting people to really know like, hey, if you want to get better, go see Matt. Matt's really going to help you. And in wanting to have a group of people in the area that say, hey, this is my physical therapist. And I go see him, you know, and they recommend other people go see Matt. And to have that going, that people have this trust and that you're saving people from surgery, you're getting them off medications, you're getting them back to life, and that they say, hey, this is a great thing. This is what physical therapy is, and this is what I believe it is, and I'm going to get better. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point to make. And I actually had someone else on the podcast earlier, and they said something very similar, how they want to be not necessarily the go-to person, but the person that everyone kind of revolves their treatment around, whether it's like because of pain or an injury or something else. And I think it's a great mindset to have, especially with trying to move the profession forward, because we know so much. And I feel like we know more than people give us credit for. And to keep educating our patients or the public on what exactly we are able to do and relay how important it is that what we do and what we tell them to do and how to, you know, improve their quality of life, so to speak, I think is going to be really pivotal in the future of the profession. Oh, yeah. And we think about it. You, you know, people say, I got my dentist, my cardiologist, you know, my mechanic, my IT. Why don't you say I have my physical therapist? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, even if it's not treating shoulder pain or specific pain, but if they're like, I got this thing going on, who should I go to? And, and to have that trust that will tell them where they may need to go and that they see us as a very trusted source of information that can direct them rather than saying, well, let me go to my PCP who sent you to this specialist who said, no, 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 you got sent to this specialist. Let me just call Matt. Let me call Stephanie. Let me, let, I got to go sit. We can get on the phone with yeah. him too. Hey, and I think that's a big thing that physicians are not jumping on, especially with direct access. If I have a patient sitting in my office and you've tried therapy for six weeks, that shoulder hadn't got better. I think you're going to benefit from surgery. I'm going to call you on the phone right now, schedule this patient. You're guaranteed somebody's going to be sitting in your office. So, that cancel no show rate that you have, don't worry about it because you are guaranteed that there is a behind that's going to be sitting in your office that you can bill for and you spent zero on marketing. Yeah, that very valid point. Yeah, I think that's a very big takeaway. I even tell my patients, I again, just literally said this in another episode because this is like a very similar narrative to what we were talking about. Um, I even tell my patients who I see in the hospital, if you feel like you don't have the right cardiologist or the right primary physician or the right dentist, you shop around for one that you either click better with or feel like you hears you more or treats you the way that you want to be treated. And I say that if PT didn't work for you this time, did you try to find another PT? And I said, well, just like you have to shop around for every other practitioner, you also have to shop around for a PT because not everybody treats the same way. Um, I think that's a huge, huge takeaway to really kind of relay to our patients too, because PT is not a style. Yes. And and that's one thing when people say like, well, PT didn't work. And I tell them again, just like you said, PT is not the same. Physicians are all different. And I tell them, I say, PT, you can relate it to toilet paper. You got Charmin, it's real nice and soft. And you got John Wayne TP because it's rough, tough, and don't take crap off nobody. So you've got <laughs> that whole gamut of stuff. And it's like, and that drives me nuts when people say, well, PT didn't work. Well, who did you go to? Well, we went to this one. You know, no, I'm, you know, I, I did a lot with spine. I'm much different than 
you know, someone that works over in this area. And that's something I tell people, um, especially I feel like with what we do, you know, with what you do, you are a specialist. You work acute care, correct? Or, mm-hmm. I always get inpatient and acute. I guess I, I, I mean, always it's say the same I'm wrong. Thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, inpatient encompasses like all like subacute and acute, but like you, it's yeah. almost synonymous. And it's like somebody coming to you who had a rotator cuff repair. It's like you could probably get them along pretty well. But, it, you know, it's like, I, you know, I kind of remember what we talked yeah. about, vestibular patient. And, and I try to stress to the people, that may be within our scope of practice. It's not within my scope of knowledge. So I can't treat a kid anymore. I, you know, develop mental disorders. Vestibular, I've had physicians argue with me. You could do that. I said, yeah, I probably can, but I'm not the best at it. So <laughs> they need to go see somebody else because they'll help them much more rather than come to me. And again, yeah. but feed right into that to say, well, PT didn't work. Yeah, because you came to me who didn't know what they were doing with a vestibular patient. But if you had a rotator cuff repair or back pain, I would have knocked it out of the park. Right. But then it also comes, the other part of it is like we as PTs or practitioners have to be holding ourselves and our colleagues accountable or responsible for the gaps in our knowledge if we feel like we're not properly serving a patient or they are not getting better as they should be or as we think they should be. So we kind of have to, on our end, be like, hey, you know what, maybe this isn't a good fit, or I know someone that can better help you. And then we pass the torch along. Cause I think one of our strengths is knowing when to refer or who to refer to. And we need to kind of own up to that and mm-hmm. actually do that due diligence. I think a hard thing is if you work for big corporations, um, cause I saw this when I worked for a couple of big ones, they want you to see everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you can treat, you know, a CVA and an ankle sprain and then this person's coming in with Parkinson's and balance, and there's like, you're switching mindset between all of them and to say, you should be able to see all them. And that was a big thing that happened in my career, um, going back to that, was I started telling them, I'm not going to see you. And I would flat tell my bosses, I'm not the best at that. And if we're looking out for the patient, their best interest, they need to go to this place over here because I know that they're going to take care of them much better. But I feel like you know, when you get to corporate or some people feel like, mm-hmm. no, 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 we, we got to get visits in. We got to see patients. And it's like, well, you're not looking out for the best interest of them because you feel this pressure to be seen. Yeah. And it's the whole circle that we always complain about, the insurance mm-hmm. model, the mill model, the corporate model. And, that, you know, like, do we go more cash based or do we try to have one on one hour long visits? and so forth or do we do more HEP and less in-person visits there's so many factors and obviously it's like you especially when you're in an insurance-based model I feel like it's so constrained and it obviously makes things a lot tougher and then everyone wants to get paid so it's just like a never-ending spiral of issues circle of Mm -hmm. issues but that's why we need to have these discussions what does your current day-to-day look like versus maybe 10-12 months ago has it changed? What's going on because of the Ooh. pandemic? It's, it's, it's been a significant drop off because uh, I started with a company and we opened this clinic last February. So it was slowly building off, off the ground and I was getting pretty busy. And then when the pandemic really around March, it took a pretty significant hit. So one, people are just not going to have surgery. So I'm not getting surgical patients in. People were just scared to come in in general. And I had several people that said, you know, they're telling us not to get out. They're not to do it. So they just, I just lost them because of that. But it did open up the televisit. And that's been a, a very, very beneficial thing, especially 
with MDT that it's so heavily based on the patient that patient empowerment is the big thing that they teach. You know, we do this stuff at home and we want as minimal of an, the therapist intervening as possible. So it works very well with televisits. So if somebody comes in day one with back pain and we find in our case, repeat extension line is what is helping you. You go to do that. And it's like, does this person really need to drive all the way in to sit in the office and say, Hey, yeah, I'm feeling better. Okay. Just keep doing that. See you later. And when it's just a 15 minute follow-up, when I can say, we could just do a televisit, it saves you that time and the patient really, really love it. And then as, you know, as us as therapists, we can see more follow-ups. It kind of goes in that funny thing again, going back to like the corporate meal model, which actually I got in a big argument with a clinic owner one time. I was interviewing for a job. So they said like, what are you going to do on day one? So I kind of explained day one. What about day two? And I explained, well, if you come in and you're significantly better with back pain, for example, we're not going to change it. You know, we're not going to add any exercises. Well, no, because they're not stable. We can't start doing these other things. Well, they paid a $40 copay and this and that. I said, well, yeah, they paid a $40 copay, but what if I cut off five visits on the other end of it? That's $200 I just saved for them. So they didn't like that. But it works very, very well. And I think that this has really shown that, one, we as therapists need to really educate our patients really well to teach them, hey, you have to take a huge part in this, doing your stuff at home, um, which has really helped me being able to really, really explain things to make sure I'm being very, very thorough in my explanation. And then the follow-ups are like, hey, you know, it's kind of like your position. How are you feeling? You're like, ah, yeah, it's, it's feeling a little bit better. Okay, how often are you doing that? If you especially got video. Okay, change your hand placement. Come up. Oh, okay, that's it. That's it right there. Perfect. Boom. And then just keep going on. If you feel like, hey, it's not quite getting better, come in and see me. Come in. We'll put my hands on you. We'll do something. Oh, boom. That was it. We do these little follow-ups. And the patient likes it because we're not taking this huge chunk out of the day. Yeah. You know, it could be a 30-minute drive there. You're there for an hour, 30 minutes. That's two hours out of the day mm -hmm. that, they, that they lost. You know, people working, big aspect on that, saying, okay, when can I come out during the day? And working out patient, that's a big, big yeah. issue. You know, I can't take off work because some people have to work. Yeah. I can't take that time off. Hey, we do a video call like this on your break. Boom, go back to it. Or even seeing machines or something that they have to do, we can make modifications on that. So mm -hmm. I think this has shown a lot. One, that we have to educate really, really well, that we can use telemedicine as an addition to what we do. And also getting away from us relying on modalities and some of those little things that we've leaned on so hard that now we can't really do them. But understanding that, hey, they're great interventions and that people are so scared to touch now. Hey, if I'm going to use it, I'm going to use it on who needs it. Yeah. So it's kind of broken those things out. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much versatility in the profession now that that has been shown over the past few months. And I think we always say from the beginning that you don't want to create patient dependence on you. And I think telehealth has shined a light on how much a patient can do either with just cueing or just education, but also how much they can do on their own period. And I think that's a huge component that we can't forget as PTs because we're supposed to be empowering our patients. They're not in PT for life, so they need to learn how to do things on their own. Or if they were to get a flare-up down the line, say a back pain or something, you know, they can come in to look for little reminders here and there. But in the long run, they need to also kind of sustain on their own to know how to best help themselves. I want to talk a little bit about 
for those who don't know, because we might have a lot of students tuning in, can you kind of describe MDT, the certification, how it actually is integrated in your treatment, aside from just like the normal manual therapy and therex? So the thing with MDT is people are listening who are students. Um, you probably got a little bit of it too. They talk mm-hmm. about McKinsey exercises or McKinsey extension. So one, they got away from calling it McKinsey approach or McKinsey technique because it sounds so guruish. It sounds like Robin is the guru. And so that's why they went with the name MDT. And I try to make sure myself that I use that. But really what it is, it's an assessment method. So patient comes in, you assess them. You're trying to determine a classification for this patient. Uh, also trying to determine, is this patient having mechanical pain? So mechanical pain comes from a joint or a muscle, something like that. And you're going through your assessment, you're ruling in or ruling out this mechanical pain because if you're moving somebody, you determine, hey, this is an inflammatory process. We really can't help with inflammatory process. Or this is a visceral pain. Or this is a the red flag that we need to send off. That's a big part of it that you really, really know. And I tell one people with MDT, you really have to understand who you can help and who you can't help. And that's what the assessment does. So we assess you move you around and then part of the assessment is actually using some of these same motions that we may have assessed to determine does your pain get better does it get worse does it stay the same so people typically think oh it's just all extension and if you read research and that's one big people think they'll say oh there's moderate evidence or there's low evidence when you dig down through the research you'll find out only thing that they did is they told them just to do a bunch of extension and lying so just like, hey, Lane is doing press-ups. That's all they told him to do. <laughs> that's not MDT. There's one that had him do extension and then flexion. It's like, that's not MDT. You're really determining, hey, if this person gets better with bending, that's what you do. If they get better with extending, that's what you do. And that's how you use it. And everybody that comes in gets a mechanical assessment. We assess mechanically to determine, hey, what's really going on? And can they get a rapid improvement? So we classify them as a derangement, dysfunction, postural. I've never seen a postural patient as somebody that just has pain that they're like, oh, it hurts my back when I sit. Sit up. Oh, pain went away. Okay, just sit up. Super rare. No one ever (laughs) usually sees them. Or are they an other? Other could be anything from a serious condition. It could be a thing of chronic pain. Could be one if we call it classified as mechanically unresponsive radiculopathy, mechanically inconclusive, you know, post-surgical healing trauma. So there's these ones, and more and more people can fall into these other categories, and that you understand who really, when you're assessing, where do they go? Where do they go with it? Uh, so to do the certification, you take, uh, there's five courses. So you take the five courses, it's lumbar, then B is cervical thoracic, C is advanced lumbar, lower extremity, D is advanced cervical thoracic and upper extremity, and then E is advanced extremity. After that, you take a certification exam, which you do a practical. You may have to do some of the maneuvers, and you have a written portion. So you pass that, and you have the certification. The diploma is that you do 10 weeks of theoretical component online. So we wrote some papers. We discussed articles. We get more deeper in the method, and we covered everything from you know dealing with chronic pain, tendinopathy, uh, and really a lot of the theoretical dealt with the other classifications. Because we all know somebody that uses MDT, they, they know how to treat a derangement. They know how to treat a dysfunction. They, they know how to treat that. How are we really going to work with a tendinopathy as, as best we can? Or a chronic pain patient, how are we going to deal with those things? And then lastly, you do a 
nine week clinical. So go in a clinic and you get just beat up. <laughs> it's all MDT. So you're classifying and it really, really helped clean up my assessment method. Um, asking questions that are straight to the point. Evaluation time dropped pretty significantly. They would sometimes say, hey, you only get five questions is all you get to ask. And come up with a classification based on that. You know, maybe you want to find a significant improvement before they leave. And their follow-ups are usually very short. And you get everything from extremities, spine. And then you have to take an exam to get the diploma. And I tell people, you don't get those nice, easy ones if you know that, oh, you got a patient that comes to you with a 9 out of 10 pain down the left buttocks to the posterior calf. And what do you got? That one's easy. <laughs> it's this person that comes in and we've probably all seen it that comes in it's like well my back just kind of hurts a little bit and it goes like right in my hip area and it's maybe only like a four at the worst but there's not like a significant loss of motion and you don't get a lot of information when you start bending them or extending them or you don't get a lot so it's like what are you going to do with this person and that's really where the diploma and the cert are differentiated you get those easy pains so it's only a minor pain but they are very hard to treat because it's just not slapping you in the face on what to do now i tell people always give somebody a mechanical assessment that you really really understand don't trust what that doctor wrote on there your script mm -hmm. one thing one of my CIs taught me never trust what's on that script <laughs> so things like telfemoral disorder i haven't seen a true telfemoral disorder in a long time frozen shoulder i haven't seen one of those in a long time because somebody with telephomoral disorder, I start moving their back around. They're like, hey, my knee feels better. Like, oh, okay. Good deal. <laughs> Carpal tunnel, same thing. To say, wow. Again, I mean, it's not faulting a physician or anything, mm -hmm. but to say that they went in, they said, oh, I think you got tennis elbow. Da, 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 da. Here's a script. Go do PT. And then it gives me a wide open thing to clear this and they feel better and they get great. And that's another fun thing of being able to diagnose and figure people out. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I do want to change gears a little bit sure. and talk about you on social media. You <laughs> dabbled in TikTok a little bit, so we can have fun and talk about that. But I also just in general want to talk about PTs on social media because I feel like even from when I started school, which was four years ago at this point, even from four years ago until now, like so much has changed in the PT profession on social media. And I think I want to know kind of what your perspective is because you've, I'm sure, seen more of a transition you've been on a little Ooh. longer. And then how you're doing on TikTok. <laughs> I do better on Instagram. You do really well on, on TikTok. You know, I guess you're too young and figuring that stuff out. <laughs> I like to duet you on one. I thought about one because you did one. I thought it was so cool. This is what you have to do to get into to PT school. And you did that. And I was like, I should do one like how you last 10 years. <laughs> And, and exactly. Like, Compare like it. you have to go through Con Ed and this and just like, this is what you have to do to make it 10 years. Early in my career, social media wasn't a big thing. So there weren't like Instagram was really just pictures. Facebook was getting into the businesses. So you really just had your business. You just put your business on there. So people weren't advertising things like that youtube had videos that you could mm -hmm. you know people were doing youtube but you had to dig them up i feel like now you can find yeah. so much more than ever i mean even like i said in the past three four years that yeah. i've been as, as a student i feel like i didn't know who i was following back in the day and then i think in the past year there's just such a community of growth yes 
And then things like when Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, those algorithms that kind of tailor stuff over towards you. So you have your PT and you start watching PT stuff and you start getting this bombardment of everything physical therapy or exercise or anything even related. You just get bombarded with it. But a thing I see is kind of, it's just crazy is that people are putting treatments on there and that drives me up the wall. And I know you do some, but when somebody says you have low back pain, here are three stretches to do. And why I have the issue with it is that one, we're giving away this knowledge. And so people won't value us because they're like, well, why should I come see you if it's free over here? Well, there's a difference between seeing me and specifically going with your issue versus, you know, finding this thing online. Also, you know, back pain has a multitude of, mm-hmm. of origins and issues. And an argument people will have is saying, well, if it doesn't get better, they're going to come see me. Well, really, it's like, how many people do that? People are going to say, well, I didn't work. I'm going to go away. Because someone coming over there to say, I'm Dr. Smith, physical therapist. Here are five things. So you're leading with your professional, I am a doctorate, so people doctor, and physical therapist, so you're a doctor, physical therapy, you have all this high knowledge, you're telling me to do planks and bridges and twists, and it does get better. Well, that's all I'm going to do anyway. But then if you start mm-hmm. looking, they're all the same. They're all doing the same thing. And then it's like, well, that's what they do in therapy, so it's not going to work, because I tried that, and it didn't work, and I'm going to go over here. Chiropractors kind of drive me nuts. They're showing people how to do self-manips, and that gets like, ridiculous like for some reason i've seen a lot of and this is not to diss the chiro profession by any means but there's some reason there's a trend with the pigeon stretch and every single chiro that i've stumbled on is like if you have low back pain hold this pigeon stretch i don't know what the obsession is with this pigeon stretch but it's driving me crazy but i totally agree with the exercises because i think while it's important to some extent to kind of show from like a fitness standpoint things you can do I think you're totally right in saying that you are giving away things that we were like given our doctorate to do essentially and you don't see medical professionals like MDs, DOs, PAs saying oh if you have a sore throat like you need amoxicillin like come see me to get your prescription like that might have been a poor analogy but like it's not really the same because they're not saying like it's definitely a sore throat for strep and you definitely need an antibiotic like Obviously, it could be, you know, worst case scenario here, but throat cancer, like, there's so many things. So actually, I've never have thought about it like that. But I really appreciate your point of view. because I think that's a a very valid point. Yeah. And there's things like, you know, you had a thoracic mobility, people will say, yeah, you know, my back is tight. It's not pain. Hey, my back is tight. My hips are tight. Hey, this stretch works pretty well. To see that's a little different because people's like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to do this stretching thing. Hey, that, that's great. But then when you say like plantar fasciitis, right? When you pain, start getting into diagnoses, you have to like tread on light waters because again, someone might say like, okay, thoracic mobility is you're feeling stiff as a mobility exercise, but you're not saying it's going to definitely get rid of your pain or it's, mm-hmm. you know, diagnosing you or putting a label on, you know, like saying you're frozen shoulder, for example. Yeah. Because people already, they want to self-diagnose. And, oh, my gosh, you've probably heard the craziest self-diagnosis. Of <laughs> somebody told me they had excessive pronation syndrome in their foot or something. And my foot is pronated. I was like, you are reaching so far. Turned out they had, like, a weak abductor. Or it was something, like, completely separate. I was like, that made no sense of what you had. And, unfortunately, that person would have started looking for stuff online 
and found that because uh, people, they don't value what we do already. Mm-hmm. So why do I have to pay you money where I can do it online? Well, that, that's fine. And Very dollar point. And, it, and it's like, well, if it's free, and I tell them, it's like, you, you're going to get what you pay for. My dad was an electrician when I was a kid, and he told me with tools, you can buy that cheap stuff, but it's going to break. It's not going to last as long. Or you buy a craftsman. Craftsman maybe kind of went downhill here lately, but that craftsman has a lifetime guarantee. It costs a little bit more, but he's still got tools that he's had 40-plus years that still yeah. work because he spent that extra time. And that's what I feel like. The stuff that's online, like it's all the same. And I tell new ones when I talk to them, when they say about back pain, and really, what is back pain? Back pain is a symptom. We don't treat symptoms. And that's one of the craziest things that even physicians, back pain, it's like, you're telling me to treat a symptom. You don't treat, you know, chest pressure and tingling in the arm and sweating. It's like, no, we're having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're, you're wanting to treat a symptom. Let's get in and diagnose where it's coming from. It's They're very rare. rare it's something serious. But we can probably clear it up with these other things. It feels so much better. So that's what I do. I don't ever post treatments. I never post, you post memes. I, ever, <laughs> I, I do memes. And I'd like the social media thing as I wanted to try to do that in the past is to be like everyone else. When I first tried to start, I was wanting to do that, but I felt like I was behind. Like some people I really liked was the prehab guys. You probably seen their stuff. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was really, really great information coming out. And you pick up some cool stuff, but I'm like, man, it's so saturated. It was just, everyone's doing this. What makes me different? So I said, well, I always put funny spins on stuff. Let me just try to go the funny way. And the cool thing that has happened is I start doing this and people are coming to me from all over the country, all over the world. And they're like, oh my gosh, I just had that patient in my office. It's somebody in Spain. And it's like, wow, to know that what (laughs) I see is the same in other countries is just amazing. Just to show that people are the same everywhere. We yeah. all deal with the same issues. And let's just take the situation, put a funny spin on it. Let's laugh. Okay, that's funny. We all think it's funny. Share it. We all get this laugh. And I think it's really interesting. And I do like that social media is helping push the profession. So it's easier to see what a PT is. So it's not that many years ago, PT is when your grandma had a total knee done, that's who came to the house. Mm-hmm. or they just rub on you in those hot packs and that it's changing and that people are seeing like with what you do. Hey, I'm, I'm fighting COVID. I'm in here rehabbing people back to life after they come off a ventilator um, or people, Hey, I'm in the gym with these people. Look at them. 60 year old people are deadlifting and squatting and they're doing these weights or I'm working with children on horses. And we're doing this. And so that we're seeing that people see, wow, I could be a PT and I could do that. Oh, I could be a PT and I could do that. And so it has that good aspect of it, but I also feel if we're not careful, we could lose a lot too because it starts to get watered down and then people are starting to try to take from us a little bit as well. Kind of like the big fight that we had with the uh, dentist the other day. (laughs) See, if you weren't following me on Instagram, like listening to this episode, there is, this is like where we have to get through like shallow, deep waters, whatever the analogy is. I'm terrible at these kind of things. But there was a dentist who posted on her dentist type Instagram 
but she's also a yoga instructor and she was posting what was it exercises or stretches for low back pain mm-hmm. and we're just like that's nowhere in your scope and you know I was always told as a student and still as a new grad that no matter how many licenses or degrees you have you're always held to your highest one so yes. she could be held liable as a dentist for posting these stretches as for back pain potentially yeah. and now it would have been okay with me if she's like in her yoga studio doing that but right. she was in her office Big the chair the tools in the outfit as a dentist and to say people are seeing you as a dentist not you as a yoga instructor you as a dentist yeah doing this and then she blocked me so whatever i didn't get the block but she was we were arguing a little on the dms i'll be honest but it's just one of those things that's like i just give up talking you know if i started posting about tmj which i've actually just befriended a nurse on instagram and she's suffering from tmj issues and i gave her a pt in her area to reach out to but she didn't even know pts can help with tmj and you know there's things like that where like I would never post about TMJ and be like, here's what a dentist can do to help you. Or, you know, there's so many paths that can be crossed, but yes, I agree. Like we need to be more diligent in like defining exactly what we are able to do because it's in our actual scope. So I follow some weightlifters and trainers and weightlifting coaches. They dabble so close on that line and they'll get into the borderline treating pain they're trying and i even see some pts and i kind of have issues with some pts that kind of poach on personal trainers because it's such a big population of people they're not as educated as you know some of them have bachelor's degrees some have masters but it's like oh this is how you can treat all this other stuff and so they're they're adding almost this rehab component to them but it's like these trainers don't fully understand the who, how, when, and why to use this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're just taking advantage of them to make money and get your CEU. So it, it's just, it's hard. It gets muddy. Yeah. And then there was one on another post, the guy with the broken hip was just so super inconsistent. Oh, in the gym, the neuro. Yeah. yeah I so that. inconsistent with stuff. Long story short, there was a guy with a, what do you have a hip fracture, but his personal trainer was like rehabbing him or training him in the gym but he started walking with like almost like a cerebral palsy type movement it was the weirdest thing this lady and i don't know what she did exactly got on there and was bashing therapists and this is a crazy thing to let people know as well she's bashing therapists saying you know her physical therapist couldn't do this and we can't do this and i know this here's the thing as a physical therapist and you treat medicare and medicaid There are federal laws and rules we have to follow. Mm -hmm. If you break those laws, you are fined, you can go to jail, you can lose your license. We risk a lot to do those stuff, but we have to practice ethically. We have to do those things within those rules. You get to somebody who's a trainer or just Joe Blow off the streets that says, hey, I want to treat people with Parkinson's and I'm going to do this. There really are no rules. And it's like, yes, you can do X, Y, and Z, but the government is not going to fine you heavily. You know, the family could sue you. And if you don't have much money or you set that up in a corporation, who cares? They can say that they win, but you've got $10 to your name. That's all they got. Okay, big deal. I may lose that certification. I'll just grab another one. Mm-hmm. We have so much that we can lose. And I start telling them, hey, yeah, you can do all that stuff because you don't have any guidelines. We have to work within these guidelines because 
if I lose my license, that's what I've spent 14 years of my life with school, 14 years of my life doing. And then I have to try to switch and do to another career. Plus, mm -hmm. I got a mountain of student loan debt and whatever thing may go on any kind of uh, background check or, or, you know, bonds yeah. I have to pay. It's like we have a lot more to risk that we're not really going to be able to risk that. And it's like, yeah, you can do all that stuff with them. You don't understand what we have to do. And we can't do that. And there's a why why we can't do that. And then it also comes down to, like, if the patient doesn't really understand the system, it's kind of up to us to properly educate them or another healthcare professional, whoever they're really spending the most time with, to really let them know why perhaps our treatment sessions are more limited or, you know, what they're mm -hmm. having difficulties with. And it's our responsibility to make sure that they fully understand what it is that's going on. Because I can guarantee you most people, especially in an outpatient setting, they come in, they have no clue what their benefits are, what their deductibles mm -hmm. are. I've seen as a person in a clinic, I've seen clinic owners, unfortunately, like scam, essentially these patients who are doing like out of network, but they're still like charging them their copay. And these people are oblivious because they have no idea how it works. So it's really kind of our responsibility to make them aware of any limitations or whatever it is that it kind of really dictates their plan of care. Yeah. yeah I was actually talking to my grandmother the other day. Physicians don't know what the rules really are. Companies don't know what the rules really are. Even if you call like Medicare, Medicaid, they don't know what the <laughs> yeah. rules really it's, are. Oh, there's so much. And it's like physicians like, will use all your Medicare money. It's like, there's actually not technically like you're out. You can keep going. It's on to us to document and say, hey, you still have a functional limitation to keep going. And then, you know, another little old lady comes in and it's like, well, I can do this and this and this and this and this and this, but I just can't play golf. And it's like, we can't rehab you back to playing golf because they're not going to pay us on that. But then it kind of like, well, they're, they can't do the job. We are, yeah. but that's a recreational activity and a federal payer like Medicare only cares that you can dress, bathe, feed yourself, toilet. So we're stuck and it's a weird conversation. But, but my doctor told me, and it's this weird thing that this dance that you have to do and it's like nobody knows. And then if you call Medicare, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll cover it. It's like, don't believe them. <laughs> Yeah, they don't, they don't really ever know. And if you don't ask like the very specific exact questions, then you're probably not getting the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole mess, whole mess. Uh, to start wrapping up though, I do, I've been asking everybody this question, aside from work outside of PT life, what are some fun things that you've done over the past eight or so months while in the pandemic in quarantine? Oh gosh, eight or so months. So I've actually, um, I've had a run streak going since January 1st of 2018, I've run at least one mile a day. Ooh. Um, so I've, I've done that. And then during that time, I've completed four marathons. I've also competed in powerlifting meets. And I'm probably one of the craziest people you meet. I've competed in a powerlifting meet on a Saturday and ran a half marathon on Sunday. Ooh. Don't ever do that. <laughs> it's not that you're sore. It's that your nervous system is toast. Ooh. Like, just like, it was like, I can't keep going. Um, so actually this year I did run a marathon in March and then I prepped and did a powerlifting meet in October. So those were two things. My gym was closed. So cool thing is I actually have a gym, like, like weights and all that in my garage. So I was actually able Perfect. to keep training and to do that. So that's my other thing that I do. Keeps me healthy. <laughs> I'm able to, you know, talk things out or to think about things 
as I'm going out on my runs, it's a great way to like clear my head or, or just to, you know, I talk to whoever I'm just talking and people probably think I'm crazy running by. And then the weightlifting is a, you know, Hey, I just want to try to stay in shape and stay healthy and remember that, Hey, we can train patients just this the same way on, on strength. And I tell people like, look, I do both. I'm like, you'll feel like crap for a while. <laughs> But you, you'll get benefits and it, and it keeps yeah. you healthy. You know, that mistaken thing that people have about, you know, running is bad for your knees. It's like, well, I'll run and squat and my knees are fine. Um, or people weightlifting. Oh, I don't want to get huge. It's like, I've been weight training really hard for about four years now. I've probably in the past year finally have gained 10 pounds of muscle. But I'm like, it is extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't it happen is, overnight. Yeah. Like, it is hard. But, you know, that's a great way to talk to people and stuff. Hey, this is how you get started in doing stuff, doing these little things. So, yeah, that's my little side thing that I do. Love it. Love it. All right, Matt. So where can people find you if they have any questions or want to follow you wherever? So I have my Instagram page, which is goofiest thing. I should change it, but it's this hard. So it's Matt underscore PT underscore DIP underscore MDT. So it's on Instagram. I have my own webpage, mattthept.com. Um, I'm also mattthept on TikTok. So I just have those things. Um, I'm always happy to talk to people. That's one thing I love. On my Instagram, I do chats. I've got, you know, had the great fortune to talk to you, Steph. And it's great to talk to people. And I like to interview them just like this. And I say, hey, we're going to talk to the average therapist, but we're not average. We're average because you're saying, hey, you're that guy that, works down the street let's just talk about something interesting that you do um, Love it. so i'm always looking or if people have questions about mdt or going to pt school i'm always trying to direct them to your pt school because um, <laughs> i'm like i'm like i'm so far out of it we sent stone tablets in um <laughs> it's like so maybe ask questions or anything about that it's like just shoot me a message i always like to talk you know hey i'll, I'll help you out again if i can't answer i'll direct you to whoever can Perfect. I love it. Well, thanks for joining, Matt. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me here. And you guys know where to find Matt. So if you have any questions, definitely hit him up. And but that's for today's episode. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.